reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 13 through 23. Listen now for a word from our Lord. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, but others Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on the earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes to be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, This must never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. For you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One night I flew into DFW Airport pretty late and I jumped on the parking spot bus to go get my car. There was only one other person on the bus, a guy who told me he was returning from a business trip. And we got to talking, you know, the way you do in situations like that. And eventually we got to the inevitable. He said, what do you do? And I was in seminary at the time, so I told him that. And he said, you know, I've I really don't know much about religion. What do you believe about all that? And all of a sudden, friends, I'm sweating. My heart is pounding out of my chest. I got on the bus, a fairly normal person. I've turned into Elmer Fudd. I can't put two words together. I have three minutes with this guy on this bus ride, and I don't know what to say to him. I think, well, should I quote John 3.16? And if I do that, will he understand what I'm saying? Or... Should I start with the cross and try to explain the resurrection? And can I really do that in three minutes on the parking spot bus? Or should I say, God is the creator, or God is good, or God is love, or all three? And if I say that, will it be enough? Well, what I ended up doing was just sort of hemming and hawing around, and I don't think I said anything especially coherent before we pulled up to his car and he jumped off the bus and the moment passed. Later, I returned to that conversation in my mind a thousand times. You know how you do that? Sometimes, 
I would relive it, giving a very eloquent speech, ending with him saying something like, thank you, you've changed my life. <laughs> but most of the time, I just wondered. I wondered what should I have said and how should I have said it? Was there some perfect answer, some just right thing to say to this man on the parking spot bus in the middle of the night, and I missed it. Well, friends, in our text this morning from the Gospel of Matthew, it's not a man on the parking spot bus in the middle of the night. It's Jesus himself who asks the million-dollar question. He looks at his disciples and says, Who do people say that I am? Now, they figure they've got this one because they know what people are saying. So very confidently, they say, well, some say John the Baptist, and others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And then they sit back and wait for Jesus to tell them which one of those he is. But instead, Jesus turns the question around on them. But who do you say that I am, says Jesus? What do you believe? Can't you just see this scene in your mind? I imagine that half the disciples stand there like deer in the headlights, and the other half are preparing to run and tell Jesus they hear their mother calling. I mean, it's so much pressure. Jesus looking right at them, saying, Who do you say that I am? And I imagine that they stand there, and they stand there, and the tension grows and grows and grows, and just when it feels like no one is going to give an answer, Peter jumps in and blurts something out. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, that's just like Peter, to jump in and answer like that. He tends to be impetuous, you know. He's the type that often goes first. Y'all remember, he was the first disciple to put down his net and follow Jesus. And it was Peter who got out of the boat and tried to walk out on the water to meet Christ. Remember that story? While all the other disciples hung back in the boat. So it's really not that surprising that while the rest of the disciples sit there trying to come up with the perfect answer, Peter just wades in and risks. You are the Messiah, he says, the son of the living God. And lo and behold, this seems to be the answer that Jesus is looking for because he says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and you, Peter, will be the keeper of the keys to the kingdom." Well, that's pretty awesome. Talk about an attaboy from Jesus. Peter's got to be feeling pretty good right then. And I think it's easy for us, friends, if we read to this point in the passage to think, well, here's the takeaway. Here's the nugget from this text. It'll please Jesus if all of us have an elevator speech memorized about our faith that we can just pull out regurgitate at a moment's notice. Y'all know what an elevator speech is, right? I see a few heads nodding. 
It's an old salesman's term. Back in the day, they used to teach you that you needed to have a 60-second speech memorized about your product so you could deliver it before you rode up to the fifth floor with someone. What do I sell? Let me tell you, and I'm going to close you in less than a minute. Friends, is that the takeaway here? They're to have this memorized speech about our faith that we can just rip out when we need to? Well, I don't think so. It is true that Jesus says that Peter is blessed, but not because he knows the answer himself. Peter doesn't have anything memorized. Jesus says, actually, he only knows the answer because God gave it to him. So if the takeaway isn't that we're to have a, an elevator speech ready about our faith, then what is the lesson here? Well, it gets more complicated as we continue to read because just a few verses later, Peter, the designated keeper of the keys, is called a stumbling block and even Satan by Jesus because Peter argues with Christ about what will happen in Jerusalem. Well, good grief! One minute, he is the rock upon which the church will be built, and the next minute, Peter is a stumbling block for Christ. What is the lesson here? What kind of example is Peter? Well, perhaps the most that can be said is that while everyone else hangs back trying to come up with the perfect answer, out of his deep love for Jesus, Peter just tries. He just speaks what's on his heart about Christ. And he's the kind of person that, well, if he gets it wrong, he's just going to dust himself off and he's going to get up and try again. And friends, I, I think that's it. I think that's the nugget. I think that's the lesson here. See, Peter isn't the rock upon which the church will be built or the keeper of the keys to the kingdom because he's a perfect person or he's always got the perfect answer or because he has the elevator speech about faith memorized, but because he loves Jesus so much that he's willing to just try to speak the truth that he knows, to give witness to Christ's love in the world. And friends, do you see that this goes to the heart of our discipleship? It does. It's a basic of our faith. We know we are called to engage in evangelism, which is the churchy word for sharing our faith, right? We've heard of the Great Commission. We know we're called to share the good news. We can't just keep it to ourselves, but so many of us worry about that. We're afraid that if we try, we'll get it wrong, that it'll be awkward, or we think we just don't know enough. Maybe we haven't studied enough. Maybe we don't have enough scripture memorized. Maybe we think we just can't make any sophisticated theological arguments, so we hang back. But friends, Christ isn't asking for perfection or complex theological arguments. Jesus just asks us to try to share what we know about him. And friends, I believe that if we will just try, that's not just good enough, that it's often more than enough.
In the last church I served in San Antonio, I had a friend there, a, a young man in his early 30s, who became a Christian as a young adult, which is a very unusual thing. That doesn't happen that much these days. He was not raised in the church, and he actually had a very, very hard and painful childhood. You know, some really tough things happened to him, and he came out of that experience pretty much convinced that there is no God. He spent some time, he said, as a deeply committed atheist. And he was the kind of atheist who would want to argue with you if you were a person of faith. He was going to prove to you that you were wrong. He's a brilliant person. He's so smart. And he reads widely. He's a voracious reader, and he's a questioner at heart. So he's the sort of person that I, I think most of us would assume would need Billy Graham or the equivalent to argue him into the faith. But you know how he became a Christian? Through a relationship with a Christian co-worker, an older gentleman who was kind and authentic and non-judgmental. This man wasn't a perfect person, and he didn't pretend that he was. He was no holier than thou, that's for sure. And he also didn't pretend that he was a sophisticated theologian or a biblical scholar. He didn't try to argue my friend into anything. What he did was start by befriending him. He was just nice. He invited this young man to lunch. He asked how his weekend was, and... After a while, as their friendship progressed, he just looked for opportunities to share simply about his faith. He'd talk about what he had done in church that weekend and why he was doing it. He talked about God and what God meant to him and how his relationship with Christ not only gave him strength in his life, but shaped his life and gave it meaning too. After a while of having these kinds of conversations, I guess it began to sink into this young man's heart because he eventually accepted an invitation to go to church with this older coworker, and one day he, he found himself up front on his knees confessing Christ as his Savior and being baptized and becoming a full member of the church. Friends, all of that happened because this older co-worker was just willing to try. He was just willing to share simply what Jesus meant to him. And it changed that young man's life. Can you see this is our lesson from Peter? Look, if he's the rock, then there's hope for all of us. Because he makes it clear that we don't have to be perfect or have the perfect answer or memorize anything. That's not what God is looking for. All God asks is for us to open our hearts and share simply what we know to try rather than hang back in fear. And if we mess it up, that's okay. That's okay. Because Jesus would rather have us try to share the good news than to keep it to ourselves. Friends, we live in a world that is so desperate for good news. 
There are so many people who want to know about that kind of love. And Jesus depends upon us to share that good news with the world. So my friends, if you find yourself on a parking spot bus in the middle of the night, and man says to you, what do you believe about all that? Relax. You've got it. Like Peter, you're a rock. Will you pray with me? Loving God, we give you thanks for your grace that knows no bounds. Forgive us, Lord, for sometimes keeping your good news to ourselves because we're scared. Lord, give us courage and strength to share your love, to bear witness to you in this world that needs your good news so badly. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.